we all have different struggles and challenges in life, right? And they are different depending on who you are. And so I definitely have, you know, areas in my life where things feel really difficult or they feel hard to do. This hasn't, freelancing hasn't been that for me. And so people will say to me, oh, you're so brave or, you know, courageous. And, and I don't feel that way. But then I think people do things that are really brave. You know, and for them, they're like, oh, that's nothing. Not to say that there aren't moments when I'm doing this where I like have a lot of doubt and I'm scared. But overall, it just has felt pretty natural to me. What's up everyone? My name is Joe, and I work over on our photo team here at GoDaddy, but I'm also a full-time photographer myself, mostly making work in the editorial, documentary, and portrait fields. I also have a background in large format film photography, and that is my true passion in photography and the medium that I use to make a lot of my personal work from. I'm really, really excited about bringing this podcast to you today and about my conversation. I have Liz Moskowitz here, who is a phenomenal visual storyteller. She is based in Austin, Texas. She works mostly with nonprofits and cause-driven clients to help them create impactful visual narratives. A few years ago, she started to work in the video world as well, and since then, her films are garnering her awards and grants from South by Southwest, Austin Film Society, Oxford American. I feel so lucky to know Liz, and I feel like I'm constantly looking to her for advice and words of wisdom. She is totally experienced in the ups and downs of freelancer life, which I know can be relatable to a lot of us who do freelance. And I also feel like she always has something thoughtful to say about the current climate in photography and storytelling in general. So I'm really stoked to share her thoughts with you today as both a artist and a business owner. Let's go ahead and jump right into our chat. Everyone had to like reach into a hat and pick like a neighborhood. And then you had to go document that neighborhood. And I got Williamsburg. Williamsburg wasn't quite yet. Probably some people in the know were like, oh, this is getting all gentrified and hipster. But I got it and we were, everyone was like, where's Williamsburg? Like no one had heard of it before. And I'm like, how do I even <laughs> get so there? Funny. Yeah. Um, and then I remember like having to take two trains and I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. And, and then um, it's interesting, like Williamsburg does have like lots of really distinct parts to it. And so there was a hipster gentrified part, but then there's also the part that's Hasidic Orthodox Jews. There's mm-hmm. the part that was more Puerto Rican. And I'm just going, walking around this neighborhood, taking photos of everyone. I still really remember it. It was like almost half my lifetime ago. But I love being around different people uh, and documenting them. The camera like gives me this ability to get to meet and know people and photograph them, even though they're unfamiliar uh, and they don't know who I am. It kind of gives me this outlet. And I think, yeah, maybe around that time, the... Me, like, realizing this is something that I like to do, that started percolating. I went to the University of Texas in Austin, and I studied English and photojournalism. I studied those things because I really like taking photos, and I really like to read and write. It was, like, this very, like, kind of basic approach, not like, you know, what should I study to get a good job, you know, to make money, yeah, I, I never really had that perspective. Um, right, but you were you were working full time, and then during that full time job, went freelance. How did that feel? Was that like a scary leap to take, or were you like, no, I've got this, and I know that it's the right move for me to make at this point in time? Yeah, I think in the beginning, like I had a coffee job, coffee shop job for a while because I thought 
I think I romanticized it and I was like, oh, I'm in front of the computer a lot for my job. So like I'll work at a coffee shop and I don't think I realized how uh, (laughs) that, that kind of job can take, you know, an emotional, a physical, a mental toll. And it was like really taking up a lot of my energy. And so there wasn't balance there. I thought maybe I'd find balance doing something like that. But then I had an old coworker reach out and she was working at a new nonprofit and they were working on this project around youth homelessness. And they wanted a photographer to travel around Texas and photographing, interviewing homeless youth. And she was like, do you want to do this? And I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. Like, if I'm going to be devoting my energy to something, that's what I should be doing. Not, you know, because working at a coffee shop wasn't my passion. Like, I don't even drink coffee. (laughs) I might as well be doing something that, you know, that excites me, you know, that I'm looking forward to. That is my interest. And so from that point, I think that's when I was like, oh, okay, this is something I'm going to commit to doing. Yeah, I had the same experience when I was working in restaurants as well. It'd be a nice idea if I could unwind by taking pictures and that was how I spent my downtime, but I didn't really have the energy to do that, unfortunately. But I mean, at that point in time, I feel like a lot of people still, you know, are figuring out what their trajectory in photography is and it's definitely not like a straight road for everybody. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean right. Yeah, and I think also like within photography too, I think people do lots of different types of shoots. You know, particularly if you're like this is my livelihood. Um, you know, some people will shoot weddings and also, you know, shoot do editorial work and also do headshots and it's pretty rare for someone to be able to be like really singularly focused. Totally. You did say that you ended up getting the coffee shop job, but was there like another time that you could recall where you ever like maybe second guessed your second guessed yourself? Second guessing, oh, am I doing the right thing or can I do this? That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I guess that um I guess the idea of being a full time freelancer for some people can be like really daunting. To have to be in total control of your your schedule, your Yeah, I don't um, think that those feelings because I've been doing this now for over five years I think I've come to realize that I don't think that's like ever going to go away Mm -hmm. because it's not consistent and so I think maybe I thought at one point oh like I'll get used to like the ebb and flow right or the wave and I don't maybe I don't think you can really be like 100% prepared for any of it right now I'm like very busy Right. And that can be stressful to have like a lot that you're managing and juggling. But then also when it's really slow, that can be stressful. Right. Having a lot of free time and like wondering when your next thing is going to come in. So (laughs) it's different kinds of stress. It's very rare, I think, for me to feel like I'm in a place where things feel balanced, that that feast or famine type of thing, which can be stressful. It can also be exciting. You know, there is something about getting the contract, you know, getting the job, you know, having a meeting that goes really well, you know, there is a, it's like gamified in a way, right? You're like, have this competition with yourself. And so it can be really exciting in that regard. It's a funny industry too, because like you, you know, have this, the stress of being a freelancer, but also because there's this artistic component that's like a reflection of who you are to some degree. I mean, I experienced that. I think that the added pressure comes there from 
feeling like you have to deliver this like creative product constantly as well. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. And so there's, there's a lot of likes, <laughs> like I, I like to say that like on a weekly basis, like I'm having like some kind of like existential crisis <laughs> when you freelance, like you really, there's like a lot of opportunity to go inward and self-reflect. And yeah, when there's ever that kind of opportunity, there's always the chance that you can get really self-critical. Why haven't I reached this point yet in my career? What I create isn't good enough. And I think, yeah, because a lot of like what you do is tied into your self-worth. It does feel more personal because it is something that you're creating that, you know, someone can like or not like. Having like a really healthy sort of delineation between like you and your self-worth and then like the work that you do and the feedback that you get. Yeah. Was there ever like a moment when you were given a project or a job opportunity, an assignment, and you fell into that imposter syndrome mentality where you're like, I I don't know if I can do this. I'm just curious to hear if that has ever happened to you. Yeah. Like I was like applying for a grant the other day. So this isn't like specific to like client work, but like having to look back at all my, you know, work and sort of create this application. And then I start questioning, you know that idea of why haven't I done more? Why isn't my work a higher caliber? I think most of the time I have like a really, I do tend to have like a good sort of sense of self, but there will always be moments like that. Or yeah, maybe you get client feedback and they have a lot of, you know, edits that they want you to make or yeah. And the Mm -hmm. thing about photo and then video too is like, it is this creative process, but it's also very technical And so you're having to do both. If you're working on your own, having to be thinking about all of those things can be overwhelming. And then there's a lot of opportunity there then to be hard on yourself. Why don't I know more? You know, why am I not more adept at like using this equipment or, you know, why am I not farther along? Like there's just, there's lots of opportunities for those kinds of thoughts to come up. I think a lot of the time though, it's like you're the, your biggest bully And if you're able to like take that step back and be like, no one's mad at me right now. No one's saying these things to me right now. But as you freelance, like really, there's always like room to grow and to get better at what you do and to learn. I think when there is the discomfort that means that you're doing something and um, that's like giving you this opportunity to grow and it's going to feel uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if you had this similar experience, but I was just thinking about this last night, how like, I feel like I used to feel a little bit um, self-conscious about having this like limited commercial experience as far as like working on these bigger clients and bigger productions. But it seems like now that there's more of a demand for photojournalism in a lot of commercial-based work because people are moving away from like these high-polished, you know, pristine shoots with models and they want to cast real people. At least that's kind of the experience that I've um, I've had. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's really working in our favor right now because I feel like there, yeah, like exactly what you said, there's this demand for like these like raw, authentic photos. Um, right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still advertising. But <laughs> well, the thing but. is like, you know, we live in the capitalistic society. So at the end of the day, you know, I'm making something for a nonprofit, you know, that's going to help 
them raise money, that's advertising, right? That's marketing, you know? So everything that we do in a way is like just a form of, to me, advertising. So I try to work with people and organizations that I think, you know, I find with the work they do meaningful. Yeah, at the end of the day, we're all just churning out content, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so what else I was really excited to ask you about was video specifically and your transition to video. Because I actually don't know this. Did you, were you trained in video when you started shooting video or was it something that was self-taught? Yeah, no, I wasn't. So like, yeah, I just studied photojournalism and I think there like was an option, but it wasn't mandatory when I was in my last semester to take a multimedia class. Now I think it's all mandatory. If you're going to learn how to do photo, you need to learn how to do video. So I didn't, I didn't have that opportunity, but I had worked though on some films as a photographer for documentaries as the photographer or the producer, the interviewer. So I was kind of, had been around that environment and then, you know, working with nonprofits that are really, you know, have really lean budgets that you kind of have to wear multiple hats. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, the technology right now is such that like you had to have a ton of money and expertise to do it's much easier now and accessible that equipment you know to create really high quality video and so my photo camera also shot hd video right and i had friends who taught me some things and you know i learned as i went along and so now with video work i like working on documentary films that are like small crews i prefer not to shoot like i can shoot an interview or simple b-roll But I really like directing and producing and editing more than being the cinematographer. For some shoots that I do, you know, that are pretty simple, I can offer that, which is really great because I don't think I'd be able to freelance the way that I'm doing now if I didn't offer both photo and video. I see. Because oftentimes the projects I do will incorporate both. My favorite project of yours to date is probably the one on the um, broken wheel ranch. Love is an action word. And you started shooting that one in stills, right? At first? Yeah, that was like such an evolution. So yeah, that's another note. So that's like a personal project. And I'm always really trying to do that kind of work to then be able to apply for grants, put it on my website, because then it really, that is what helps attract client work that I want. But it starts first and foremost with a personal project where no one's hiring me or commissioning me. This is just coming from a place within me. And I think that those can often be the projects that have the most impact. But I met someone, a veteran. I was working with a mental health nonprofit. They were a client of mine. And I met him and he was telling me about this ranch in this small town in Texas where all these veterans and their families would go. And there, there was um, all these horses and they would do equine therapy. And he was just going on and on about it. The way he talked about it was really beautiful and eloquent. And he was really shy and nervous. But when he started talking about the horses, he like opened up and was really poetic. And I was like, oh, I have to check it out. Um, and so I have a friend who's a really talented cinematographer, uh, Riley, and him and I work on projects together, client and personal. And so him and I went out there and we're like, oh yeah, this this is going to be a great story. You never know. You go out and you're like, oh, this right. could be a bust. And we just drove out five hours and who right. knows. But we got there and it was like 
pitch black and then the sun started to rise and suddenly there's 80 horses coming towards this woman Mel who's the owner of the ranch yeah and it was just really beautiful not just the horses and the ranch itself but the people there and so it was kind of intertwined because I was working with Riley so we were doing the filming and and then I was also taking photos and I was doing both digital photos and analog film it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was just, yeah. So that's the kind of thing like small, te- small teams are nice because you have creative control. And sometimes like on film sets, I don't have a ton of experience working on big productions. I don't think I would do that well in those environments. They seem really right. stressful to me. And yeah, I just don't think I have the right sort of disposition for that. But when you work with just a couple people, you have a lot on your plate and there's like a lot of things that you're thinking about. Uh, but you also have like complete freedom in, you know, choosing what, how and what you want to shoot. And yeah, I went into it shooting digital and analog or thinking that I could blend the two and I could have medium format film shots and digital shots combined as one story. Mm-hmm. And I tried really hard in editing and cropping and everything to make that feel cohesive, but ultimately realized that they just have such different looks that I I was going to have to choose one or the other. Yeah. It's like a testament to film because there's so many filters and like film type replica things. And I mean, that's great. I use them too sometimes, but it's nice to know that like film still has this thing that you actually can't replicate. Yeah. And I also think like I shoot differently as when I'm shooting with a medium format camera and I'm shooting with my digital camera it's almost like two different photographers. And so I think also, yeah, it was definitely like the feeling, the tone, the colors, but it was also the shots. They just kind of didn't flow. I went to this portfolio review and those that was the work I showed. It was in Santa Fe. And that was a humbling experience because, you know, I had been out of the photojournalism world. You know, I created this niche of working with nonprofits. And so the feedback I got was kind of like, these are nice portraits, but like, what's the story? And it was like such like a aha come to Jesus moment for me where I was like, oh, I really like have gotten far from that place of creating like a photojournalistic essay. I got really into taking portraiture, which I still love to do. But yeah, it was true. I wasn't telling any kind of story. And so I went back the next month to the ranch with that mindset. And I was able to get some more photos that were like that. Yeah, that was a moment, right, where it's both humbling and you can feel a little, feel that inner critic, right, starting to rear its head. Um, But yeah, but it's also such an opportunity for me to be like, oh, but they're so right. This is where I started and I got really far away from that. But like, I can go back to it. Having those opportunities where you can talk to editors or other photographers, you know, they can be great learning experiences. But you do have to sort of swallow the pride in your ego a little bit too. Yeah. Totally, totally. And so what was the decision to do this in video as well as stills? Was there a reason behind that? Or like, did you see a certain advantage to shooting motion in this particular story? Well, Riley and I had worked on a project and won an award for it. Yes, you did. (laughs) At South By. And I think we were kind of like, we were like, woo, we're like, okay, so we did this. And like, you know, we had some momentum behind it. And then I knew about this story and I just felt like, oh, maybe this could be the next thing that we work on together. 
So I went out there thinking that it would be like, I didn't just go out there thinking it would be a photo project because at the end of the day, like, I mean, documentary film is still so subjective and is still such a small slice of the story and is so crafted (laughs) Um, and just, you know, one side of the truth. And there's many versions of the truth, but it just gives you more than photos, you know, like I think now that I have done sort of both, there's something about a photo that it just like leaves a lot to the viewer to decide with documentary filmmaking, you're sort of able to like shape that a little more provide like more substance. Not that it's any more objective than a photo. You're just adding more meat. Yeah. I feel like the thing that's always impressed me about you is like your ability to be your own boss because not everybody wears that hat super well. Is there there a question? (laughs) (laughs) I was hoping you would just start talking and then I wouldn't have to ask anything. (laughs) Well, because this is what's harder for me. I will have people because I think what's interesting is we all have different struggles and challenges in life, right? And they are different depending on who you are. And so I definitely have, you know, areas in my life where things feel really difficult or they feel hard to do. This hasn't, freelancing hasn't been that for me. And so people will say to me, oh, you're so brave or, you know, courageous. And yeah, and I don't feel that way. But then I think people do things that are really brave, you know, and for them, they're like, oh, that's nothing. And sure. not to say that there aren't moments when I'm doing this where I'm like have a lot of doubt and I'm scared. But overall, it just has felt pretty natural to me. And I think part of that is maybe just like inherently who I am. But I think also like I live in Austin and like the cost of living isn't exorbitantly high. So I don't sure. have to hustle as hard if I lived in somewhere like New York or San Francisco. It's just there's a lot more competition and things are just more expensive. I think the fact that I had a really solid stepping off point because I had this network of nonprofits, you know, and word of mouth is really important in this kind of work. So I think I sort of had this foundation that... For me, it's more that... um, Oh, sorry. I know, you're good. Go ahead. For me, it was more that you seem to always be able to sort of tell a client yes or no in a definitive way and that you have that sort of... You have that experience with advocating for yourself and being your own boss. Yeah. Which not everybody has. It's a hard thing to learn and to have that sense of self. Like saying, yeah, like no, because like the budget's too small or that kind of thing. No, because the budget's too small or no, because I'm just not the right fit for the project. I don't know if that's ever happened to you where you just realize I'm not, I'm not the one to be telling the story for whatever reason. I mean, it's definitely like freelancing is good trial and error and a learn as you go kind of thing. So in the beginning, you know, my rates were a lot lower. I said, yes to everything you know I didn't advocate for myself as much and then I think the more I do it the more experience it teaches me okay this is how I can respond in emails right or in a meeting to assert myself you know and then also really talking to other freelancers is super helpful and they don't even have to be photographers 
you know, they can be someone who owns their own yoga business or ceramics business, right? But at the end of the day, we're all running, we're creatives and we're running a business. And there's things like paying your taxes and getting health insurance. And that's like a really big part, the running the business part. And so really just like not being afraid to ask other people. I think transparency is really important. Sure. Was there a moment where that flipped for you and you were like, not saying yes to everything anymore and kind of being more selective with the type of work that you were doing? Yeah, I think it it, it ebbs and flows because like there's, you know, the idea of like the fear of scarcity um, and because freelancing is such a wave, like there are times when like, you know, I'm not, I don't have as much work coming in. So I might say yes to something that like two months before I wouldn't have because I was really busy. So I think the thing is, you're always checking in with yourself and you're always asking, okay, based on all these different variables, it could be the client, it could be the project, it could be what time of the year it is, what the pay is, what my schedule looks like, how I'm feeling just generally (laughs) on that week or that month, you know, all these different factors come in and the more practice you have with it, the more it feels like instinctual. I sort of just check in with myself. And then come up with my response that way. Yeah. How has your how has your photography changed in the last ten years? Liz, ten years ago, how did she shoot, and how does Liz shoot now? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think referencing back to going that to that review and people kind of being like, "Well, where's the story?" And these are nice portraits, but like we want different kinds of shots, you know. And because I started shooting like client work. That was for nonprofits and other cause-driven clients, which is kind of like showcasing, look at the important work we do in the community. Look at the people that we serve. Even though it wasn't for like an ad agency or a corporate company, there was more of that. Not less about like telling like a nuanced story and more about like, you know, beautiful, you know, compelling shots of people. Yeah. And so I think I kind of moved farther away from like the roots of photojournalism. And then in my personal work, I really love, I love taking photos of people. I love taking, you know, beautiful photos of people who are often, you know, not photographed or who don't get that kind of attention. Usually I feel really lucky to do what I do. Cause it's like, it feels like a gift to, absolutely, yeah. Like listen to someone's story and like honor them you know, in this way, like visually, um, in a way that they're not accustomed to. And so a lot of the work is like about that for me. And it's, yeah, it's portraiture, but I'm, I'm wanting, you know, I'm feeling like a little bit, okay, I want to like, kind of grow stylistically. And how can I do that? What does that look like? So I'm thinking about that right now, to kind of branch out from doing this sort of documentary portraiture can challenge myself a little bit more. And a great way to do that is really, I get really inspired by looking at other people's work. Um, what what film camera do you shoot with now at the moment? Is it that twin lens still? No, yeah, I got a Mamiya RZ67, which is like a heavy beast, but it's great for portraits. Like it's really sharp, but it's like more like, I think it was made to be like a studio camera. I lug that thing around. Is there ever a day where you don't see yourself shooting on film? You know, I still do it. Like, I'll go out for a client project. I'm filming an interview. I'm taking photos. And then I bring out this camera 
And I'm like, oh, and I'm going to take some photos of you with this. And I'm like, no one's asking that of me or expecting it. But I'm like, I want to do this for me. Because they're exciting. You know, I think also taking them is exciting. Getting the negatives, scanning them. And I know you can relate. You know, it's like getting a present. And, And I think that part of it, like I don't, you know, I don't process or print in the darkroom anymore. And all of that. I really used to love, you know, I still have this remnant of it, of getting the film and and being able to see images in that way. Yeah. Do you feel like the film cameras help you interact with subjects in a different way? It can. It depends on how comfortable I feel with the person. Sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm taking up their time, you know, and I feel bad about that, especially if it's like at the end of a shoot. You know, maybe they're tired. But I think people really, they like the old cameras. Like, oh, it's something different. It makes this loud. When you press the shutter, it makes this loud, really satisfying sound. And I think it's exciting, you know, for people to be documented in that way. Oh, my God. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you again. I'm being such a bad interviewer. (laughs) My, uh, My great uncle, who I photographed in Poland, he's like 80 years old. When I took out the large format camera, he was so cute. He like jumped up. He was he literally said, Mamma Mia <laughs> ever. And then in Polish he goes, What a machine and like this really cute little voice. And I was just Yeah. No, it's so sweet. I know older people too and sometimes they'll be like, I remember that camera, you know, like they'll like have memories of it from back in the day. Or like young people will yeah. be like, What is that? <laughs> yeah, it's you either get that or you get the Canon or Nikon. I don't know if how many times you've been asked that, but I've oh, been yeah. asked. I mean, it's funny because I'm just times. like, yeah, I know. I don't like care a ton about that stuff. Um, I know. Yeah. So I'm not good at talking shop. Or no, no shop talk. Nope. <laughs> you don't have the newest. Uh, yeah, I don't got the newest. What are they? What are they at? Oh, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know. I know. I mean, like my Canon 5D Mark III, great. <laughs> I've had it for like years now and I don't I don't feel like I need anything. It's an amazing camera. Yeah, still wise. I for still, yeah, it's like I remember holding the 5D Mark II for the first time in college and it felt like a tank. I was like, yeah. what is this thing? I, I mean, I actually dropped it and broke it. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately after, it was like so heavy. I wasn't used to holding a camera like that. But yeah, it's pretty wild. So seeing as Liz and I are old, close friends, we actually forgot to formally end this interview and podcast episode. uh, And we just continued talking like old friends. So I'm going to close out this interview with uh, plugging in Liz's website. You can check out her work at www.lizmoskowitz.com and see all of her amazing projects featured there. You can also follow her on Instagram. Her handle is at Liz Moskowitz. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.